0: I can't wait to talk about what you do. Yeah. I got to read it a little today.
1: Okay, good. It
0: was nice. Yeah, thank you. I mean, first of all, so Foster Kinship, and it's fosterkinship.org. Fosterkinship.org. That's where they find it. And I'm here with Ali Caliendo of fosterkinship.org. And what do you do for them, Allie? So
1: I'm the founder and executive director, and we're a nonprofit organization serving the state of Nevada, anyone who's raising a relative's child. And so we run several programs for what we call kinship caregivers, but it's just a fancy way to say grandparents, aunts, other um, relatives.
0: Okay, okay. And it's blood relatives is the specific focus, or are you looking at, you know, mm-hmm. godparents? and Exactly. Okay. So there's,
1: we call it fictive kin, So it could be a family friend, a godparent, a coach, a neighbor.
0: Uh huh. uh -huh. So
1: that's all under kinship umbrella.
0: But somebody that cares. It's
1: it's someone who knows the child or the child's parents. Mm. So as opposed to a traditional foster parent who is basically a stranger to a child who can't live with their parents, a kinship caregiver has some pre-existing relationship. So it kind of makes that transition easier for the child.
0: Mm -hmm. And in situations like that, I, I feel like parents get to a point where who knows what's going on with them to begin with? And then once, once you start to have that friction with your child, no matter what age, it, it becomes harder to recover. So bringing in somebody in the first place is oftentimes in the child's best interest that has a fresh heart for the child.
1: For the most part, it's in the child's best interest. So anytime a child can't live safely with their parents, with their biological uh, mother or father, it's better to have someone who knows the child, who loves the child, to keep that child where they are, know where they come from, their identity, with their siblings. Oftentimes, it's not a choice that parents make, mm. but a choice that happens to them based on their own actions. So sure. um, it, can, it can be something that just happens. Kids can't live safely if child welfare gets involved but sometimes parents make, make a choice to say, hey, you know, mom, I can't do this right now. Can okay. you help me out? And there's some mutual private arrangement. So it can happen that way, too.
0: That was going to be my next question is if there's if there are parents who are kind of making a conscious awareness choice yeah. of this or if this is just... I, I, I guess I assume predominantly we're dealing with parents who can't cope with having yeah. a child.
1: For the most part, we see... It's some sort of substance misuse in combination Mm -hmm. with mental health issues, which Mm -hmm. make it very difficult to make good choices for yourself or for your children. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of times it's not a choice that parents are making. But oftentimes um, they understand that it's in the best interest of the child at some level. And they're happier to have a child with their parents or someone they know as opposed to, you know, the idea of being in foster care with strangers is very scary for any parent, so.
0: And asking for help or accepting help is often difficult. So when it's a situation where someone's coming in kind of because there's not a choice here, it's it probably saving a lot of kids?
1: It, a lot, a lot more than you'd think, because there's actually 33,000 children in Nevada in kinship care. So it's a huge number. The number of children in foster care in our state is under 5,000. And even in the foster care system, about 40% of those are with relatives in foster care. But then you think of all of the kids outside of foster care that we don't think about, talk about, you know, serve those children. The majority of these kids who can't be with their parents are with relatives outside of foster care.
0: My God. And the, the family experience is so important. And it's not, it's not important that it's family uh, that, that, that has to be exactly it's a mother and a father. and a, you know, It's important that the, the child is able to identify what family means. and
1: Yes, it's a huge part for me of kinship care. Is my family tree has been kind of pieced together through adoption and kinship care and foster care. So we have kind of all of it. Mm-hmm. Kinship care is the most healing because you know where you come from. So if you are with strangers or adopted and you have no idea who your biological family is, no matter what the situation, you're always going to wonder, who am I? Who are my parents? Where did I come from? Whereas relatives can tie that together for a child. This is who your mom was or this is, right. you know, who, who your dad was. And mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. more sense to, you know, to keep that sense of identity is really important. And we're not cutting kids off from their biological families, which I think is dangerous.
0: It is dangerous. And what a what a a very comforting thing to know exists yeah i i discovered i had a sister Mm. well into my adult life i mean we're talking maybe four or five years ago wow and probably one of the biggest things that she struggles with is she was completely raised by a foreign family Mm -hmm. and when she found us and we began kind of identifying Certain things. It, it really was fascinating and mind-blowing how similar she was to all the rest of us, having never spent a moment with us.
1: Yeah, it's so powerful. I don't have the same experience, but I just did 23 me. Oh, So I was hoping there'd be something uh-huh. interesting in my background, uh, yeah. and there's not. But I did find <laughs> several first cousins that had no idea, right? Because, like I said, there's been these kids who have been adopted out. There have been affairs. There have been kids raised in different families. Yeah. So I'm reconnecting with first cousins, and there's... Yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot that you just get by looking at like, hey, we're related. We have the same grandfather. We have the same grandmother. Even though I don't know you, I feel very connected to you. And it's it's powerful. So if it's that powerful for me,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you
1: know, just to be able to be with your grandma instead of a stranger. And I oh, say this yeah. with love for foster parents as a foster parent myself. Right,
0: right, right. I don't pick up any yeah. slight. But I think I'm totally, I mean, whether you're talking about substance abuse where a recovering addict has a 400% chance more for success if they're exposed to help from family. Right. That's the stuff we're talking about. And and a foster family could just as easily be that. Sure, if they become a full-time situation or what. It seems to me your group is kind of trying to find permanence
1: we absolutely are and the research on kids who can't be with their parents it's very clear if they can go back home they do better so Mm -hmm. kids who can be raised by one or both of their biological parents just in general have better outcomes Mm -hmm. and then outcomes sort of decline from there so kinship care keeps that link to their family so if Mm -hmm. it's possible to go back home And you're not in a stranger's home who maybe has, you know, dreams of adopting a baby.
0: Yeah, right. Right. But Mm -hmm. you're with grandma Mm -hmm. who has Mm -hmm. dreams
1: of being a grandma Mm -hmm. and having that child go back to your daughter. You want that healing for your family. That's really better for kids. The motivation is there to get kids back with their parents when it's safe. And when it's not, you're keeping that that home in the family. That's our slogan. We just want kids to be with their family.
0: Well, let me ask this, which is probably seemingly an obvious question. You must be having some success with that.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's not obvious because um, when I got into this 10 years ago, it was because I was working with children who were in foster care. And they were just, it just happened to be that they were in relative foster care. Mm -hmm. And as a foster parent, I figured that the resources would be the same for foster children, depending, didn't matter where you were. And it wasn't that way at all. And so... I got into this really naively thinking no matter where a child is, if they can't be with their parents, they deserve the same access to services and resources Mm -hmm. because it wasn't that way. That's why I started foster kinship is to try to build that equity. Uh The hard thing has been the reason why people weren't doing it is there's really no, there's no money involved in this. There was no obvious funding stream. So there was no real motivation to step into this space, but Just starting it and then getting those first few families, the need has been so great. And we just listen to what our families tell us, what they need, and we build programs from there. And now we're serving 3,000 kids a year just in our state. So we are seeing success because the need was there. And Uh it was just so like waiting for someone to come and help these families who weren't Uh getting anything. And
0: where is the bulk of your funding coming from?
1: So now it, it's a variety of sources. Um, we are receiving funding from the federal government. They fund navigator programs Wonderful. like ours. We have contracts with Clark County, um, and then we do a lot of private fundraising, you know, individual and grant writing because there's no one place that understands kinship care. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we are trying to make the case. <laughs> and we make that all the time. <laughs> so
2: so where were the gaps? Where did you start to realize that uh, a child in Traditional foster care versus a a child with a a relative, So what what was missing?
1: You have to think of it in two sort of categories. So first, the child in foster care. So if we're talking about those 4,500 children in our state who are in foster care, if they're placed with a traditional foster parent, that foster parent has been trained and they're receiving financial support to care for that child, a reimbursement. If they're placed in foster care with grandma, they ha- grandma has not received any training and will not receive money, mm. right? No reimbursement. So in Clark County, grandma has the option to become licensed like a foster parent and then receive the same payment. Um, in Washoe and some of the rurals, they can do some provisional licensing, but they still have to go through this process. So mm. it basically they're doing it up front for free and then getting the support down the road Wow. if they choose to. And sometimes they don't. And so a lot of times you see that they're just doing the same work as foster parents without getting the same support.
0: Without the support, right. right. How long
2: does the training take? It depends mm-hmm. on so many factors, but and three then, to six months. Yeah, and in, hmm. in some situations this happens very quickly before they yeah. can receive the training. That's right. And the other thing, so I said you have to think about it in two
1: buckets. So we've got the foster care children, but a lot of times – Children are either, we call it diverted out of the foster care system. So maybe the child will come to the attention of a child protective services person who says, hey, grandma, if you come and get this child right now and get guardianship or do something else, we don't have to bring them in foster care. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. pros and cons to that. You know, if they're not in the system. Mm -hmm they're not in foster care. So that's usually a positive, but the downside is then there's no access to training or the financial support from the foster care system. Right. So doing it privately is hard in a different way. So depending on where mm-hmm. the child is, there's different supports and services. And that's what foster kinship. We are experts at knowing exactly what's available yeah, based on those the situation of the child. Step
0: you through the process of things are so, so important. Yeah. I, when it comes to, I mean, the idea of raising a child by, in and of itself is already difficult. Right. When you start factoring in who's going to do it and how, can you give me an idea of how intensive the trainings are and what that looks like and what they go through and what they learn and, and that sort of thing. So people listening might.
1: Right. So if they're going to do the the foster parent training, there's training that's specific to kinship families because it's very different than being a stra- uh, you know, a traditional foster parent. But they're going to learn how to deal with um, the agency, how to navigate foster care, how to understand the different permanency options like adoption, reunification. They're going to understand how to partner with the birth family, so the Mm. parents, to make sure that they're working towards that healing for birth parents when it's possible. Mm. So, And the most important is they understand trauma, abuse, and neglect, which almost all kids who can't be with their parents, regardless of if foster care is involved or not, have experienced some sort of trauma abuse or neglect mm-hmm. how that interferes with their traditional parenting styles and how they're going to need to figure out how to 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 be a nurturing caregiver mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to you know traditional discipline for kids who have experienced trauma that's not going to work it doesn't go so the same. a big mm-hmm. piece of that is just behavior we understand the kids behavior where they're coming from and then how can mm-hmm. you be a, a more nurturing caregiver so that you see the light go on during that training, yeah. a lot.
2: I have um, a question. One of our clients is Safe Nest, which is the largest nonprofit provider of um, domestic violence services, resources to families, but also batterers treatment. How many um, families or children that come out of domestic violence uh, homes, um, or are in those circumstances do you see that a lot we see it a lot it's a fair
1: amount a lot of times there's other things going on the hardest thing is if mom is the victim in a domestic Mm -hmm. violence situation but if she is not yet at the place where she can leave her Mm -hmm. abuser Mm -hmm. especially if they're still married it's not safe for those kids to go back to mom because she doesn't have what they call protective capacity to protect her children those break my heart because I know, we know that mom just needs more support to be able yeah, to leave that abuse. Because abusive.
0: she's out there getting it too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: oftentimes those are really painful to see, you know, the kids can't go back home because mom has chosen to stay with a partner.
0: What are the uh, kind of the top couple of things? You mentioned substance abuse. It plays a pretty big factor in domestic violence. I mean, what else is kind of causing this to, to occur?
1: Honestly, substance abuse is almost always at the root of the problem, right? Because it's going to cause, you know, housing instability or incarceration. You're jumping in and out. And, um, you know, if you have mental health issues, it doesn't help to be Mm. using anything. (laughs) So it's almost always there. Yeah. So Mm. it's almost always under there, even if it, you know, if we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of reasons why parents may not be able to parent. But if you dig far enough, you're almost always going to find either substance misuse, mental health.
0: And no, rooted in that is something about a coping mechanism they're just lacking.
1: It's it's generational trauma. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you're going to see it's just that's how they're dealing with whatever they've gone through. So the hardest part about kinship care is we're not just helping you raise a child. We want you to address the generational trauma that might have that's, led that's to this That's some where arresting. I was gonna
0: head next is how do the parents play into the program? You've got a program that's sort of designed to make sure the kid's best interest is in mind. And then you're obviously working with the, the the kin to to prepare them. The parent must somewhere be just, am I gonna lose my kid? Am I not? Just yeah. uh, how do how are the parents interacting with your program typically?
1: So important to note that our number one concern is for children. But because our number one concern is for children, we care deeply about their parents because Mm -hmm. we know that they'll do better if they can go home. So it's going to depend on the relationship between the birth parent and the kinship caregiver. Mm. If it's a maternal grandmother, we're going to typically see a lot more sort of codependence in that relationship. You might Mm. have been trying to help your daughter over and over Mm -hmm. since she was a teen. Mm -hmm. And then eventually now you're raising her kid. You've got to figure out what that relationship looks like with your daughter now. Mm. So that's one conversation that we have a lot. Mm-hmm. If it's with an aunt, for example, so it's, you know, your sister, that's the one that's having a difficult time. We see a lot more anger. Yeah. And, you know, sort of like my yeah. parents have let her get away with this for years and now I'm doing this and now I'm doing and I'm fine. Yeah. And why is she? And so it dep- really depends on the relationship. If it's a family friend, they might not have the same emotional entanglement And Mm -hmm. so then it's different issues. So part of the work that our social workers do is really understand family systems and the dynamics, because it's going to look different for each family
0: Mm -hmm. or some Mm -hmm.
1: themes.
0: (laughs) I've, I've had the privilege of, of sitting with people before in here, uh, various types of people from various backgrounds. And what I find is that the people who come in, who are specifically targeting a life's purpose of serving others, have a general nature about them, and you're not different. You have a very nurturing, soft kindness to you that I think really is probably anchoring so much of this. Can you tell me about your journey starting this to 3,000 families a year?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. That's really kind. Um, I've always been really passionate about family systems issues and children who've experienced trauma. And I got into this because I saw the inequity when I was working with kids directly. And I yeah. also wanted to be able to solve it. And as someone who was a foster parent, I didn't feel like adopting all these kids was going to be the answer. Right. I have only so much that I can do. So mm-hmm. I wanted to intervene at the level that would help the most children. Yeah. And since 90 percent of all kids who can't be with their parents are with kin, I thought that was the level of intervention that made the most sense. Uh huh. Um, But what really got me started was I was working with a a set of four children who had, it was a horrible experience. They had seen their mom shot and and killed in front of them. Um, And their dad was incarcerated and they were at Child Haven, which is Clark County's sort of place where kids go before Uh they go into foster care. And a great aunt had stepped up and was going to take all four kids. um, And she did. And she was doing it on her own without any help. These kids were in foster care, but she was doing everything. And about six months down the road, I'm working with the kids, not with the great aunt. Right, right, About six months, she says, I just really can't do this financially anymore. I need help. So she reaches out to her caseworker and then they tell her about this licensing process that she could go through. Six months down the road. Wow. <laughs> she'd already drained her savings. She'd actually yeah. lost her job because she had to take so much time off. Ugh. So she went through the whole licensing process and I'm watching her go through this process. And they come out to her home after she's gone through all the training classes and everything, and they're measuring the bedrooms with a tape measure. You don't have enough square footage in this bedroom to keep these four kids here. Uh. And so it was so discouraging to see these barriers that she kept hitting. But even that didn't stop it. She didn't stop at that point. She found a home that was close by that could be licensed. It was going to be big enough and again, she reached out to her caseworker and said, I just need $800 to be able to move, right? I don't have it. Mm-hmm. If I have $800 and I can get licensed and then I can do this. And they told her, it sounds like you can't do this. So we're going to take the children and put them back in child haven. And so they were going to take these four oh. kids. Who were with their family, and this aunt was keeping them connected, number one, to each other. Like, who's going to take four kids? Oh, my God. But helping them deal with their trauma. She was keeping them in their schools, in their church, with their friends. And, you know, because she was asking for that level of help, which was very minimal after what she'd done, and was told that they were just going to be taken from her, I was just like, stop, no. This uh. isn't going to happen, number one. I figured out how to get her the money so she could move, mm. so she could get licensed and move You put med. it together. But that was the moment where I thought... I need to start a nonprofit and do this for other families because if this is happening, and I'm just watching it unfold as an observer, and it was just so horrific, the whole process. So I, I thought, this has to, this ha- it can't be this bad. These kids needed to be with each other and with their family.
0: You know, and it's something, when people hear this back later, this one of the reasons we put the film on because to see you become emotional <laughs> while you retell the story is very, very important for these people to understand that there's a real human being in here who one day was sitting there watching and then just decided, fuck, I'm going to figure out how yeah. to get 800 bucks together and just make some, you That's know. It. I told if- my
1: mom, mom, I need
0: 800 uh- bucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But I really thought it was that moment. I was in a Starbucks parking lot, and I thought, how hard would it be to start a nonprofit and just do this for other families? Turns out it was very hard. This was 2010. And it took me a year to figure out the scale of kinship care, what was available. And then, of course, I knew nothing about nonprofit management. My master's was in family systems, and so I had to learn a whole new skill set. But there was that one moment where I was like, I'm going to do this. And then it turned into quite a bit.
2: quite a singular moment. It was. I mean... Four, five lives impacted by $800. And I'm sure things like this you can now provide and help um, bridge that gap that happens. Yeah. What's shocking to me is that it seems like nobody was helping. Nobody was even caring and almost judging her. Yeah,
1: there's so much stigma and some of this is going away, but there's still the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Sort of like, oh, if there was something so wrong with mom, why are you any better? And especially Mm. for grandparents, like, well, you raised her.
0: Mm. So why Mm -hmm. should
1: we trust you? And as somebody who, you know, is a sibling myself and we were raised by the same parents and have different, you know, different experiences. It's a horrible stigma, but it is still attached to kinship families. So we're always trying to break down stigma that, you know, government agencies might have against kinship families, but also making sure that kinship families feel safe to Mm -hmm, reach out. mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's you keep it in the family because you don't want to ask for help or you don't want to acknowledge what might be going on. And so a big piece of our work is building trust with caregivers. We are really here to help you. We are not here to judge you or to take your child from you. We just want you to get the support that you need.
0: I understand that we have sort of as, as human beings this inherent desire to judge one another by the company that we keep. But sometimes you really have to go in and uh, and and analyze that. And and this system that we have in place isn't set up to be able to do this. like Either said, is they're they're not even able to care if they want it, it seems. Yeah. So this this third party entity becomes valuable on a whole different level because now you're able to actually just go in and talk to grandparents and find out if they really are uh, acceptable. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are instances where you find kinship that wants to do something but maybe isn't fit. is That's that, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: No. And we are not in the business of of judging. We're not licensing families. We're not making those important decisions. But we have a pretty good sense of when a caregiver just needs some support and they can get what they need or when it is an inappropriate place Mm -hmm. for that child. Mm -hmm. Um, And nine times out of 10, it's just a family that needs support.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, what you really have is the ability to get close and and make that discernment. You can actually get to know them. And and that's just something that the system isn't going to take time to do.
1: They don't have the time they don't and that's really not their role. And so it's just a gap in child protection in general is there's number one, if you have a badge on, there's going to be fear because you have the power to take my child from me. Mm-hmm. So being a sort of third party bridge, we can build trust and make sure families are supported without that fear. Uh, <laughs> you should
2: know that, um, Allie is a, has a PhD. And so she knows the history and the role of nonprofits and also, of course kinship care which is what she wrote her dissertation in. so amazing so
0: which is double fantastic because <laughs> i don't know right. anything about any of that i'm gonna <laughs> wing it and just be in awe of what you do because i don't know
1: if it's a good thing it's, it's pretty, pretty, too, pretty nerdy
0: <laughs> i what i am curious about most is we saw how it began with the phone call to mom mm-hmm. and now what does it look like today
1: So we, so it's like, it really started with me for the first several years and it was just me in a small office, a totally inappropriate office, the only one I could afford. And I was just working to figure out what families needed and how I could connect them to services or what programs we had to build. As we got more and more involved, we started picking up some contracts to be able to do more. And um, that's when we were able to start hiring staff. So I think I hired my first social worker in 2015 And now we have, there's 16 people that work for foster kinship. And we just opened up our office in Reno. So we have, there's not that many children in kinship care in Reno compared to Vegas, Mm -hmm. right? It's like maybe 5,000 up here, 28,000 down South. So one social worker is going to be sufficient to serve families. Oh, okay. Um, But, you know, we've really grown quite a bit. And that's only because the need is there. The families are there and they're reaching Mm -hmm. out and asking for help. And Mm so... It's been, it's been quite a journey, quite a big journey. <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> and the numbers you're using are totality, right? You're not talking about per year, 5,000, or are you saying per year, 5,000? At either. any
1: given time. At
0: any given at time. At any given
1: God. time, there's approximately 33,000 kids in kinship any care. Kid. It's like 5%, one out of every 20 kids. So at least one or two in every classroom is going to be in you know non-parental care and most likely with
0: relative. Well, tell me this. Can you just give me a little bit about the thing that touched you most along the way what which one of these stories stands out to you the loudest
1: so the very first child i worked with was be, was raised by his grandparents and he was 6 at the time and had a, a lot of they, these children are going to come with a lot of issues because not only did they have trauma but a lot of times they might be born drug or alcohol exposed and so they have additional brain damage and issues that they have to overcome So you're going to see a lot of behavior issues in children in kinship care. Mm. This child I worked with, I got to work with him about 20 hours a week. And he and his family touched my heart. And I will never forget just the need of that one child and that one set of grandparents. So I have behind my desk, instead of my um, PhD, I have a picture that he drew. (laughs) And I keep that behind me because it's very easy to get discouraged when you're working at a very large. We work with 90 new families every month very easy to get discouraged by all the obstacles that they face and just the sort of repeated discouragement that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I can never give up because I'm always looking at that, you know, remembering the impact we can have on one child and how important that was. And so that's what keeps me going is just remembering the first child I met, wow. keeping that sort of need to want to improve his outcomes and keeping that front and center is uh-huh. what helps me keep going. Because otherwise it's a really, it's a difficult space to be in. And it would be easy to just say, why am I doing this?
0: It almost, I almost feel guilty asking these questions because you're so truly authentic about your help that I just feel so pained by putting you in these emotions. <laughs> <That was laughs> the You're a lovely person. You really are. Do you hear from this young man? Do you ever hear from any of these kids? Do they stay in touch? So to the I family? did reach
1: out to his grandma a few years ago because I just wanted to see how he was doing because he's uh-huh. like 16 now. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, hope he's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, more of so sort of, I hope you know how much your family inspired me. And this is what I'm doing. And she was very mm. gracious and excited to learn about foster kinship. Yes. But he's sort of like, that's nice.
0: <laughs> you know i think of we had in here uh, recently this young man came in with his mother 15 years old and he was auditioning for uh, a, a little shop of horrors a children's version that's kind of syndicated <laughs> nationally and he kind of came in just being 15 a little uncomfortable was unsure about his size and he sits down in the chair and why it's like all right we're we're gonna get you going and, Okay, I think I'm ready. You know, okay, action. And now this little kid—he knows what you've done, and he just starts going in. That kind of energy in a child is magical, yeah. and it's not happening without a family. It's it doesn't. Just not.
1: Yeah, you just think about everything that our kids are missing out on when they don't have the support, and we want to give that back. We foster kinship wants to make sure that caregivers aren't trying to get diapers and food. And figure out just how to file paperwork we mm-hmm. want them to be great caregivers who are going to let kids thrive and have those opportunities so we're mm-hmm. trying to solve basic problems so that they can focus on the big picture which is how do you raise this child so that they can have healthy healthy future that they can thrive as kids they can be kids
2: mm-hmm. we want
1: to give those kids the opportunity so
2: so so what are some of the other wraparound services in addition to helping them through um just the initial process of getting them into the homes with their with their family. What else do you guys prefer? We start out by solving those basic needs. So if you don't even have
1: what it takes to take care of the child that day, car seat, crib, diapers, formula, let's get you taken care of and then let's get you connected to everything that's available, whether it be financial support, whether it be getting your legal documents in order. And then let's connect you to others who are doing this so that you have support from a community who gets it and can provide that support when you feel like you can't keep going. And then let's get you trained on how to deal with the trauma that your kids in your home have gone through so that you can keep going and keep parenting. Um, We also provide respite care, you know, family events, just a lot of things that are going to, we want to take the burden off caregivers and give them the the knowledge that they need to care for kids so that mm-hmm. they can keep going.
0: And how can people get involved with you? Is this something you have a need for, volunteers? Uh,
1: it's, we, yes, and especially when COVID is gone, <laughs> we can actually interact again. Um, but it, fosterkinship.org, or they can just email me. My, my name is spelled A-L-I, ally at fosterkinshiporg and mm-hmm. we can either connect them to services or to a way to help
0: how kind that you as the top of this thing are still just here's my personal thing and reach out and find me that's (laughs) pretty good if
1: i I ever lose that i think i will lose the the passion i want to always be able to touch sort of every level or what's the point if i'm just pushing paper i'm that's not fun
0: (laughs) god bless you that's pretty good ali uh so how you 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 came to this completely opposite. Well, I mean, it's not completely opposite, but it's quite a bit different from what you went to school for. Mm-hmm. We have a sense of how you sort of stepped into it. And I guess I still just, I want to know more about what it looks like to go from from calling mom for $800 <laughs> to 16, uh, you know, 17, if you count Reno or 16, don't know. Yeah. 16. Uh, counselors who are working on a round-the-clock basis.
1: Yeah, it's it's really been a, a wild 10 years, and every year has been different because we've been growing every single year. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to always help my staff understand that if you need a place where you're going to have the same sort of clock in, clock out, not have to be innovative, not have to be creative, this isn't going to be the mm-hmm. job for you. We are always going to be working to provide the best and most efficient service, and that means things are going to change all the time. Um, And we have big plans for the future, too. So like Edith says, I have studied kinship care now in every single state and like to see foster kinship become a model for other states, other (laughs) counties, other jurisdictions, because I know ours works and it's lacking across the country. What is
0: the biggest need for foster kinship?
1: So, uh, well, in terms of foster kinship, we are at a point where we just need sustainable sustainable income but we're not going to keep growing because at a certain point you're this the right size You've for this the scale yeah. that you're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're undergoing a evaluation to see if we can meet some evidence-based criteria for a federal clearinghouse that might allow us to go and to that next level and help other states. Other states, okay. And so a big piece of our work right now is just making sure that the data collection is moving forward and we're, you know, keeping things done with fidel- fidelity. So,
0: Very cool. Yeah,
1: it's not, it's, it's not yeah, that yeah. fun, but it is no important because yeah. we want to get to <laughs> the no next level. It's no Cards Against Humanity with no, champagne, it's, it's something. Yeah.
0: Uh, Do you picture yourself lasting at this forever? Is this where you're going for? uh, So the hardest
1: part for me personally is, you know, being in a place where I would be stale, sort of doing the same thing day in, day out. So Mm. running a nonprofit maybe isn't the long term goal for me. I'd really Mm. like us to get to a level where we're training other areas and and Mm -hmm. expanding. That's fun for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not thankless. The families are so amazingly thankful and that keeps our cups full all the time. The hardest part is really working with the, you know, the welfare office and the child welfare agency and the right. the places Connecting that are designed to help that. families <laughs> and kind of explaining, well, it doesn't work for the kinship family for this reason. So a lot of our work is, you know, some policy advocacy and making sure mm. that systems work for families, no matter right. what that family looks like. And that's the hard part is sort of like, why are you doing this or?
0: Yeah, because the <laughs> system's kind of always trying to evolve past you in a way. It seems like there's there's always a new need. There's always a new uh, underserved person or persons, and legislation just moves and travels so fast. They change things that have to do with you on legislation that has to do with you know mining and whatever. I, it's I think also it,
2: I think it actually is very slow sometimes. Is that right? Especially in this area, which is one of the things that predominantly nonprofits need is funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um I think that educating both agency administrators, legislators, community members that are, you know, going to be maybe providing some donations, that's where we really need to go next. And mm. I think when you can really start to point to the return on investment that already, obviously we know there there's a return just for the families and the children's right. and their lives right. and having less adverse childhood experience and how that's going to impact them later. Um, but also being able to show the policymakers, look, this is what you we can save and this is what a child's going to experience if we can actually get some dollars to make sure that they don't end up, somewhere else yeah, yeah it is a it's slow because there is a
1: piece of legislation i worked on that didn't get passed in 2017 that did get passed in 2019 and it was you know i started thinking about it in 2015 so it's like this six-year right. process to like yeah. incremental change to for get families. what you need is so, very and families slow, are like we're gonna call the governor change. we're gonna get this done and it's hard because the need for change is now yeah the process is painfully slow and um, you have to be very deliberate about it. So that's so you're
0: kind of looking ahead four and five years sometimes absolutely. and thinking about what might be needed then. Correct. Wow. Yeah. What a difficult thing to even gauge. I mean, how do you how do you begin the process of gauging where kinship family needs are going to be in, in five years?
1: I have immersed myself in this world and taken it probably too far by studying it and getting a PhD in it. Wow, just looking <laughs> it's at probably, so much history yeah, it's, that you it's, know you what the future is coming. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, this is not probably a normal way of doing things, so I don't have any good advice for someone who wants a healthy work-life balance. But, but, but I
2: think what you said is fascinating. The fact that you think that now, or I think you will, that you think that you're laying the groundwork for using your model – in other states that haven't adopted anything, where they're in the same situation that you were with the f- four children, yeah, and nobody's there to give them yeah. eight hundred yeah. dollars. If you can, a call if you can, yeah. take that <laughs> in other states and give them the same model to be able to create a, yeah, I really like it to be sort
1: of a you know a federal <laughs> sure. model yeah. that can be then you know incentivized to the states. I mean yeah. that's my. That's my goal. So I'm hoping that that in the next 10, 15 years, we're going to see kinship navigators be really prioritized Uh in child welfare and states adopting it because they're incentivized to do so through federal funds.
0: Have you seen other programs like this in other states? I mean, is there stuff going on? There are
1: a few navigator programs in other states and um, I'm very close friends with all of those people. Mm. It's a small community. So Mm -hmm. we're all, you know, a lot of us are working towards some of the same goals. So.
0: Mm-hmm. so it's a matter of time, really. That's right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and a matter of having a climate in the country where people are ready to pay attention to those kinds of issues and take, take real life a little more seriously sometimes, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you put a date on it with your tremendous amount of studying, how long would you say before this? Uh, let me let me preface this by saying provided all of the obstacles and things that are going to be in your way are sort of accounted for in your mind. How long before a program like this could feasibly run as a federal program?
1: Well, we're really hoping that our evaluation that we're undergoing right now will meet meet evidence-based standards to be in this federal clearinghouse for child welfare programs. And so within the next two or three years, I'm hoping you'll see Mm -hmm. foster kinship as one of the first, if not the first, Kinship Navigator program that's been evaluated Actually. to a certain level. Good so I have you. sort of a three-year plan on that. We'll see how it goes.
0: So only fifteen years of your life. That's right. From no big
1: deal. <laughs> I keep telling my family I'll just keep working on this until I kind of solve this, and then I can do something else. So I think I have a job for life
0: <laughs> once I solve the problem of children without. Parents, <laughs> that's right. We'll
1: figure it out. <laughs> we'll move on to
0: cancer after that's that. That's right. Good for you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, to, to step out of your field of education and take on that problem and be successful certainly speaks volumes. I mean, uh, you know, there's a there's a part of me today, which is rare for me in here, where I'm kind of like, I don't even... This feels like a minion trying to interview Gru. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're the one making all the plans and knowing this thing. I could go on the website and read all this stuff and ask all these questions but frankly, no one wants to hear me. Can you tell us just anything about this program that you want us to know? Kids that you worked with, particularly difficult, you know, advocating for for people to go through the system that we live in yeah. is no small thing. Tell me a little bit about the process of actually walking through that, just the way it feels to you.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, so. The most important thing for people who are not in this world to take away is just the scale at which kids are not with their parents and what that might be like for them. As Edith said, children who aren't with their parents are uh, way more likely to have a lot of adverse childhood experiences, which just down the road cost it it's a personal cost for them. but it's also a huge cost for us as a society because it's going to show up in substance use in mm. in mental health in increased health risk and so
0: yeah if we can
1: intervene Mm -hmm. now when we have a chance to it's um it's really going to help all of us down the road Mm -hmm. so what i've tried to do is walk in the shoes of caregivers so i never send a caregiver to get something if i haven't gone down that road myself Mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that we're being effective Mm -hmm. so if they need to go to welfare i have gone to welfare and acted as if i needed Mm -hmm. this benefit to see exactly what it's like for them. Mm-hmm. So the, the, and all my staff have done this, they're required to. So we're bringing some compassion and empathy to the work that we're doing. Mm. And so if there are caregivers that are needing support, I hope that they can reach out to us because we are really here to improve outcomes for them. Um, and then just in general for the community, it's just so important to know this is happening all around you. And if you can help that family, you're gonna help all of us in the future. So getting that family support is gonna help that child. Helping that child helps all of us. Mm-hmm. Save us all a lot of money. So, bottom line, let's you know, <laughs> let's let's get, let's get the help Can to these help families. the
2: cycle, and it's the same way with domestic violence too, which is a little bit of the work that I've done at the legislature with with our client. I mean, if you live in a home with a perpetrator and you are exposed to that abuse as a secondary victim, you are gonna be like 80% more likely to be a victim or to be an abuser Mm -hmm. later on. Yeah. And we see that with all
1: forms of trauma, whether it be you're witnessing domestic violence or anything else, it just trauma repeats itself until it doesn't. And it's up to, you know, us as adults to heal our own trauma so that we can be quality parents or caregivers. But with kids, we have a chance to intervene Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that intervention really needs to happen with the caregiver. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's, Let's get that support into these families. Let's not ignore these kids.
0: Yeah, it's highly impactful for them because kids know what they're going through. They know when something hurts and when it's hard. Yeah, And that that moment where all of a sudden there's just this uh, this Ali Caliendo who appears. <laughs> and it I'm sure to these children, it's kind of like, whoa, here's this person being soft with me and nice with me. And, and my grandparents seem to like her. I mean... That moment is like the moment it breaks that trauma cycle in childhood. If you wait till they're an adult, they got to go sit in therapy and figure it out for themselves and work it out. (laughs)
1: It's a lot harder.
0: They get to see a clear cut example of when things got better. Yeah.
1: And there's nothing more exciting for me than watching some of these kids grow up. So I've had some of these families for 10 years. I've watched these kids grow up. I've seen their families change and evolve. I've seen kids go back home. I've seen birth parents get better. All those things are so positive and important and keep me going. So just getting to watch this happen and unfold is a real gift. And so because of that, I see that it works. Let's keep doing it for more kids.
0: Wow. You know, it's a funny thing I'm going to tell you. By trade, I am a concert promoter. I love to promote concerts because nothing makes me happier than that person whose boss is a dick or their spouse cheated on them or their best friend's bitching at them about God knows what, not listening. And that person just cracks a beer open and dumps it on their own head. That moment is so big for me. And if I take that and add like real meaning, for example... (laughs) That's right. <laughs> I can't imagine what that must feel like.
1: Yeah. No, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding.
0: It's rewarding to yeah. see you smile about it, oh, to be honest. Good. You have you should look right over there and smile at these people <laughs> with how rewarding your work is. Yeah, I know it is. You really brighten this uh, little room up. And, and God, may every family that needs you find you.
1: I hope so. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. How so long
0: have you had an office up in Reno?
1: Clark County, we expanded statewide in twenty eighteen, but most of it was us flying up here mm. and doing a lot of remote casework, which now everything is remote. So we were prepared for COVID. Um but we <laughs> finally, through nice. the generosity of a private donor, have been able to hire a social worker to be here embedded with our families. And our office is on it's one East Liberty, so it's really close mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. court. It's really close to child mm-hmm. welfare. It's
0: really close to where I sell hot dogs on the Perfect. street corner five yeah. days a week in the summertime. <laughs> so we're
1: there, and we're you know we're open now, and we're ready for you know grandmas bring your kids, let's talk, let's get you supported. So we're we're here and we're ready um,
0: to, well, to I'll really tell you serve. What. All these kids that come through that office, you have them come down. They can push the horn on the hot dog cart, and I will give them a free hot dog. Wow,
1: well, I'll take you up on that because that would be a
2: big
0: selling that's point a for families. Deal, to come they out. would like it. I, I got so. hot dogs and chips and sodas all day. <laughs> that,
2: I, yeah. Somebody needs to create a little coupon i oh, have ready. done deal. <laughs> I'll get be a awesome. stack of them.
0: And you know what? The horn is one of those. Which, oh, that, that sounds, sounds amazing. Well. Yeah. <laughs> no, tell that's, that's
1: a, that would actually bring families down. So they we're going to do man. that. <laughs> and I
0: tell them the kids only. It's a kids only button. That's awesome. No, no <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, Okay, yeah, please tell us more about that. That's that's good. So you had a private yeah. donor that paved the way. And, yeah. and is this a repetitive annual thing that they're doing? Or so it just it's a two-year
1: grant. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're going to try to make everything as sustainable as possible. But we're very grateful to be able to open up an office because it's so important for families to see our faces and trust us Mm -hmm. and so um yeah so we'll be doing the same thing up here that we do down south which is you need help with guardianship we're gonna help you do the paperwork and help you file it if you need help paying for it we're gonna help you with that Mm. any application assistance they need if they need diapers all the same services are going to be provided here support groups family events christmas all that stuff
0: you know at the root of this there is so much uh acumen and intelligence and and infrastructure that has gone into what you've built here but it really comes down to just making ends meet for people yeah what mm-hmm. a beautiful thing yeah i, I i'm sh- just may your, your donor be blessed so, so for 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 opening this up for us here uh, what you're doing in Clark County is huge. I can't believe how many people and how many families. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that you've been able to become integrated with the state and, and to become sustainable that way. Uh, it. I've seen a lot of people fake nonprofits. Yes, yeah. it's, it's an awfully beautiful thing when a real one comes in. How much of the money that's coming into the nonprofit is applied to uh, the service it provides?
1: Well, so almost all of it. So most of our money that comes in goes to some programmatic aspect. We don't have, if you're familiar with nonprofits, we don't do a lot of fundraising or we have a separate, you know, fundraising arm. Mm-hmm. Flying everybody yeah, all we're over we're absolutely her. not. I mean, uh-huh. we're really about trying to do things efficiently. And we had yeah. to. I started by myself. I had $800. I didn't, you know, I had to be really creative. Now, did so. your
0: mom gift that 800 or did she <laughs> have to pay that back? You know, I don't actually
1: remember. <laughs> I don't actually remember how that happened. But my, my family has been very supportive and I'm very grateful for their help. I wouldn't have been able to do this in the beginning without the support of my family, but of course uh-huh. now we're at that stage where your family has to be pretty far away from what you're doing. We Our budget is yeah. about a million dollars a year, so... We've taken it to a level where you know where I feel like we've grown up a little bit. Yeah, we're not Started calling as, mom anymore. Anyway. No, there's no 420,000 mom. 420, we do it's
0: shortfall. <laughs> there's know. a couple kids. Honestly,
1: but if they have it, that'd be great.
0: So <laughs>
1: i not <yeah>. saying no. <laughs> not, wouldn't say no if they came into money. It's more than fine with me. So, but yeah, it's a it's a different it's a different world now, um, and it's been a learning for me as someone who didn't come in with a nonprofit expertise, but I have learned very quickly. That by doing everything kind of on my own first, I know how to do it correctly, and I know how to do it pretty efficiently, and I'm not going to fall into some of the pitfalls that you see nonprofits fall into, hopefully, Mm. because I I can't. This is, like, I'm so passionate about this. I can't let this fail, and so... Going to keep going, and I'm going to probably keep working pretty hard until I solve it, and then I can (laughs) do
0: something else. What is the next one? Where would you go from (laughs) fixing children's traumas? I mean,
1: I mean, if we can fix this problem, like everything gets better for all of us. If we can solve childhood trauma,
0: I can't believe how delightfully (laughs) real you are about it.
2: I can't get over the fact that it's 33,000 kids.
0: That is so many. I didn't,
2: I would not. Imagine it being that many kids. Yeah, and it's, I mean, honestly, it scares
1: me because these kids are vulnerable and they're at risk and they've experienced a lot of adverse childhood experiences. We Mm. know the outcomes are bad. We have to not ignore them. We can't just focus on, well, there's 4,000 kids in foster care. No, there's 33,000 kids who can't live with their parents. That in itself should be enough for all of us to take action. It's just a hard sell for some reason. I'm not sure why it's hard. I'm always trying to figure that out.
0: I, I have a theory about it hearing it this way. (laughs) I feel like what people are giving up on more is the parents. They Mm -hmm. hear that these children are, are in this risky situation and then they hear, Oh, well there's a group who's going to take care of and get them with their, you know, it's sort of, you've almost uh, created a situation that would allow people to put their heads in the sand by mistake. Yes. This is something that really needs focus. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, more than anything, there's there's got to be something that continues to put people in communication with these parents. And I don't mean individual parents, but these 33,000 parents yeah, that need group. to hear a whole community say,
1: we got you. We yeah. got you. You, you. You're exactly right. Because when, when I explain this to people and I say, and then the child goes with grandma, right? Instead of strangers. They're like, oh, good. Oh, oh
0: thank oh, God, God you did something. I can appease then, my guilt and go yeah. get a cup of coffee. But
1: then you have to say, well, this is still kind of a problem. Yeah. You know, without calling kinship care a problem, it's still problematic because, oh, well, well, grandma doesn't get paid. Yeah. And then they're like, what? They don't get the same thing? And that's where you start seeing eyes open. No, they're doing it all on their own. Yeah, And so, um, so but that, you know, you have to first explain what kinship care is. And then you're, you have to go down so many different paths to get to why
2: it's a problem. So, so do, who are your allies? Who are your natural allies? I mean, when you think about senior citizens and you think they're on a budget, and a lot of them are living on, you know, social security they've got other expenses and now they've got this added expense who becomes an ally like i think naturally P maybe potentially who who else yes. helps you so they're
1: not in nevada our ally yet um mm-hmm. but they are in many other states the office area offices of aging are. they came into kinship care because their clients all of a sudden had kids so you see Programs that provide support for caregivers, we're all of a sudden seeing instead of caring for an aging or, or ill parent, I'm caring for my grandchild. So some of those programs have fallen into kinship care sort of accidentally. Um, so there's some intergenerational stuff, obviously, that is a good support. Um, so,
2: And it wouldn't be 2020 if we didn't ask, how has COVID impacted <laughs> you guys? So so 2020 has um, not been as
1: difficult for us as I was imagining in March when I was picturing what was going to happen, sort of with a a dread. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, we are already sort of doing some remote case management for our rural areas. And so we had the model in place. So we were able to switch for our families relatively quickly. But we've also have gotten new partnerships. So there's a partnership with the Delivering with Dignity program that provides restaurant meals to families We've gotten some CARES Act funding to provide child care subsidy. So we've gotten a little bit more that we can do for families because of the position we were in. Mm. So we've been able to probably solve most of the problems I was afraid of by some of these partnerships. So it has not been, mm. I'm not going to say it's a blessing because it's you. not. No. It's, I, it scares me to death because our relative caregivers, especially our grandparents and great-grandparents, are so much more vulnerable.
0: So what I was so. going to ask <laughs> next is exactly that, is how? are you seeing the majority of the impact COVID has on you come from how it's impacting them the families.
1: Yeah. So what we wanted to do was make sure especially in the beginning when everything was sold out and you'd have to go to four different stores to get baby formula mm-hmm. or Lysol wipes, I, grandma can't do that. Mm. That's dangerous. And if something mm. happens to her, where are these kids going to go? Mm. So we immediately started delivering things. We had drive-through of free, uh, you know, formula, diapers, Lysol wipes because we needed to keep families home. And so we we just changed really fast to make sure that we could keep families home. And You're safe as fast as possible. And went right to it. Yeah, because if something happens to our caregivers, then our kids are. What, what's going to happen? Yeah, Who's going to step up?
0: Go right back to foster care. Yeah, and, right and back our to system trauma?
1: can't sustain thirty-three thousand kids. <laughs> we can barely help our forty-five hundred. Well, and these <laughs>
0: kids certainly can't be going back and forth from system and out and in and out because then you so start talking trauma. about how that turns into incarceration. Absolutely. That in and out stuff is is for the birds. Yeah. We got to get that out of here. I agree. Uh, you you do a fantastic job, buddy. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, it's one of those things where I am sort of more in awe hearing these stories kind of one after the other and not even, we haven't even delved into the kinds of stories you must be seeing. My wife is a, a, a school teacher and she worked in a Title I school for a very long time, so I, I had... the husbandly duty of hearing Mm -hmm. we went to you know little timmy's house and when we opened the door there was this wave of cat urine that Mm -hmm. just busted us in the face Mm. those kinds of things are so so painful yeah uh we didn't even get into that and i can i just can feel you radiating with the things that you've lived
1: yeah and it's every day and i um, I'm very open with my caregivers and so they reach out to me via messenger or however they can, you know, and I'm so I'm always hearing the most awful, horrific things that have happened to kids. And so like I said, the, just keeping that picture that that first child drew behind my desk is what centers me because mm. otherwise it's too painful to keep going because what these children have experienced is beyond, beyond mm. anything I can even imagine. And the caregivers that are stepping up to fill these parenting roles deserve they are heroes. They deserve so much. And instead they're encountering problem after problem. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's intense. My husband, you guys should have a support group. I mean, because I'm like, look, <laughs> look at what, you know, and it's, it's a lot. If you're not able to figure out a way to take care of yourself, to carry that kind of pain, but yeah. these kids are going through it. So that's unacceptable. If they're yeah. going through it, like I'm not going to look away.
0: Yeah. I think so. that's admirable. I, you know, it's, it takes a lot to keep your eye on the ball when the ball is horrifying to look at.
1: It is awful. Yeah. Uh,
0: I don't envy your position in that, but I'll tell you what, if I had a 10th, the grace you had, I, I could be a lot of different things than <laughs> just a guy that's half blind behind a microphone well uh, thank you <laughs> it's it's it shows it's really it's palpable that you care and I, I think that's it can't be understated because for 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 people listening as I gush on you in this here you're on the radio you don't you don't even even if we put this thing out it's not going to catch what I see I mean the stoic subtleties behind the emotions <laughs> you're wearing are just moving me oh uh, <laughs> For all these save our children people running around and all these people that want to do something, say they're doing yeah. something else. I'm
1: like, I've got hey, you want to save the kids? I've got
0: Let's, a couple ideas for you. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Let's get
1: more than a hashtag. Well, come a, over. One yeah. of the Let reasons it caught my
0: my thought right there, as I said it, was because this the Save Our Children Nevada people came in and yeah. did a podcast and they had a lot to say. And one of my questions was, Well, what do you want to do? And oh, we want to advocate at a state level and lobby and do this. And it's okay, well, how are you doing that? So, We're figuring it out.
1: Yeah, I've got ideas. Uh Yeah,
0: (laughs) I mean, that's kind of my thing. Is you've got this group. Connect them. Yeah. Yeah, these people have totally mobilized into having hands and.
1: Yeah, and people want to do something about it, and they hear you know these stories that are easily disseminated on social media. It's like, how can this be? And let's do something. I'm like, yes, we've been working on this for a long time. It's very specific, but you know, we have some real practical ideas. To if you're really energized about saving the kids, like. I'll tell you where they are and how to help them.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And we're going to watch you the whole yeah. time just in
2: case.
0: So we don't know you either. Yet, you? Right. <laughs> uh, this
2: is Reno. Yeah. <laughs>
0: A wild thing to be able to make that sense and have everybody in the room laugh. And everybody listening from Reno's going to be like, ha! <laughs> Uh, so you live in, in, in Las Vegas, Yes, I I would understand that. But Uh, I am
1: not a Las Vegas native, so I don't have the same sort of like allegiance. I grew up in Chicago. I lived in Seattle, so Ah. I'm still trying to figure out Nevada myself, so don't. But don't put me as a Southerner yet.
0: <laughs> I tell you what, I knew for certain you weren't from Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure about Nevada as a home. but Vegas No, was, so. I
1: love Nevada. I think it's an amazing state mm-hmm. and I want to stay here. You know, we, we bought a house like we're planning on staying here. Our kids mm-hmm. are going to grow up here. We love it. So mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. I'm just not from here.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I I left here 17 and I went all over the world, go try to be a prodigal son somewhere and figure out what heck's going on. Reno specifically, it's just it's just home. It just hmm. felt like home. Chicago, I loved. Yeah. I had some while. I was only there a couple days. Um, so I mentioned being a concert promoter. At the time, I was actually on a full US tour with an artist I was managing. Cool. And we went through Chicago and we played the the, the, the headliners named the rapper named Andre Nicotina. Okay. And we were playing in a place called The Shrine, which... Are you familiar with uh-uh. the Shrine Chico? Now, the Shrine has never had a white performer okay. until that night when Prof opened for Andre Nicotina. And Prof is a, on a label called the Rhyme Sayers. It's Atmosphere and all those kind of Midwestern. It doesn't matter. But okay. he's a really goofy, bouncy, you know. And so when he began this room full of people... Was just really tweaked like what is this guy doing <laughs> yeah. here why do we have this clown and it was really uncomfortable for about two songs by song three he was just ripping the place apart That's great. and I never saw the whole tour didn't have a part like that and I'm not sure that that story has any relevancy other than the night swept me into the streets of Chicago.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing city. What? And I went to college in the south side of Chicago. So very familiar with some of those neighborhoods. And it, mm-hmm. I love if it wasn't for winter. I would still be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it wasn't to having my car snow plowed into one side of the street with a <laughs> ticket sticking out on top, I would still live there. It's the best topic. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, and my snow shovel's in the car.
0: <laughs> I had a great deli experience in Chicago. Yeah. The food alone food. was worth being at. Yeah,
2: pizza. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: You guys do events, I would assume, right? Yeah, and, mm, and in not, regular life. Well. Yeah, not, not right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What what do those events kind of entail? What, are the, what What is the functionality of them?
1: They serve two purposes. The first is to get caregivers to interact with each other and mm. sort of build that relationship so they can support each other.
0: So these are community events community with your families? They're community for our families. Ah, yeah. Okay. And
1: so, you know, our volunteers are, are on the outside supporting the container we're creating for our families. And then we're always looking for a way to get things into the hands of our kids and families without there being any shame or stigma in saying, I need help. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. always trying to give stuff away, but doing it in a way that is like, just, right. can just where it's take accessible. it off my hands. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so,
0: the, the notion of dignity plays a tremendously yeah. big role here. I Most
1: remember. of our families, they they don't reach out for help. They right. haven't, you know, it's not something where they have their hands out and this is just sort of a way of life for them. It's It can be very difficult to accept help and they're very... Um, they're amazing about wanting to help others. So we want to create spaces where they can help others while at the same time receiving the gifts that we're really trying to give to their families. We're like, you are amazing. We want to thank you for doing what you're doing. And so we have to find ways to, to do that in a way that respects the whole system. Right, right,
0: <laughs> right. Because you can't have that that one family that just... Views it as a charity that's yeah. insulting. And yeah, right. I can see it. That's a, that's a heck of a dynamic to navigate. I mean, to to be able to liaison the relationships, as you guys are, is, is kind of the most impressive piece to, of this to well, me.
1: And it's the most important part. Yeah. So the relationships with our family members, that's the core of it. And that we're listening. What do you need? We're building those programs. We're going after funding based on what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Where are the gaps? Not what I think you need. Well, you're
2: building trust and also it's a coping mechanism too for them. And all of it in the end, it's going to help the child. Ultimately. Exactly.
0: Well, in the the relationships with the families, the relationships with the system, as you said, I mean, pulling those elements together, uh, God, there's so, there's such a big gap between them. Usually, uh, it it sort of. You ever seen Spider Man Two with Tobey Maguire? No, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. There's a scene where he's trying to stop an out of control subway train, and he shoots his little webs off of either hand, and he's in the front, and this train just won't stop. So you see it just kind of pulling. Uh
1: huh. <laughs> yes.
0: That's what I feel like this is. It's just. It is this, a lot ah! of.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, it's just that brute force a lot of times, but it is based on on trust and trust with the community partners that we work with and the agencies. I mean, we have to partner and trust and build trust with every government agency as well mm-hmm. in addition on behalf of our families. So, we're just mm-hmm. always I feel like I'm like moving chess pieces around <laughs> trying to get it mm-hmm. to a point where everyone wins. 3D chess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now,
0: as a host I'm having this conflict moment because I feel like I want to stay on here and talk and talk and talk until we have found every person willing to help, every person willing to be involved. And what a frustrating aspect to the problem that it's it's never ending. Right. Yeah. I I really appreciate you coming in here. Thank you for having me. You were just wonderful to share yourself and your experiences and what you're doing for these people and to continue to share with families that way. Uh, It's very selfless and and thankless, uh, excuse me, thankful as it can be the thanks can't be great enough. So I thank you because... right now I'm thinking about calling my mom for 800 bucks and just yeah. saying we've got to find somebody to help. That's right.
1: <laughs> can donate it. You know. I mean we'll take 800 from anyone. So. Let's do it. Your mom, your mom, your <laughs> mom, let's my, go. My
0: mom, his mom. mom. <laughs> you know uh, I hope you'll come back and talk with us some yeah. more.
1: I'd love I, to and I'm super excited to get to know Reno better mm-hmm. and to be here it's awesome. So thank you for having me. I feel this, very welcome.
0: We couldn't be happier to have you here. This town couldn't be more lucky to have you in, uh, coming up here to visit us
1: i'm excited to get to know it i've already tried to drive around without gps and only got lost once nice it is small like that it's the construction to worry
0: about (laughs) ali caliendo uh foster kinship fantastic thank you for being here again thank you edith for bringing me another just delightful person in here to, to just banter with of course uh thanks to wyatt for for taking care of business as usual